There was a CNN cameraman who was trying to do a story and report on some wild uh, fires. And he got permission to charter a twin prop airplane at a local airport. And he arrived and saw one at the hangar. So he jumped in and said, let's go. And the pilot took off. They began to fly and he said, now what I need you to do when you get to the scene of the fires, I want you to circle around real low so I can get some good shots of it. And the pilot was silent real nervously for a moment. And he looked at the CNN cameraman and he said, so you mean you're not my flight instructor? <laughs> you know, oftentimes um, there can be an enormous gap between what is and what appears to be. That's why I'm very grateful this morning that as we talk about the Act 22 project, we're inviting to the platform someone with whom there is no gap, and that is Jennifer A. Dolphson. Jennifer, would you come and share with us for a moment uh, your thoughts about the Act 22 project? You give her a Beach Haven welcome, would you? I wanted always to see what Tim was pushing up here with all these buttons. I kind of just thought it was one or two pedals, but I'm looking at it. I'm like, there's all these buttons. So I want to go <laughs> really bad. <laughs> I'll try and control myself. <laughs> hey. um, <clears throat> um, Ryan's parents are looking for a new house, and we've been house hunting with them and everything. And so when I was thinking about this morning and what I was going to say, it was because we've been hunting for houses all day yesterday. But um, I realized that most homes over 50 years old have been renovated to some degree, and some have been reno reno sorry, renovated many, many times. Well, this building, our church, is like our home. In fact, most would agree outside our home is the most important building to us. Many of us have been saved here, baptized here, married here, brought our new babies here, and celebrated many precious believers' lives here. My family wants to be a part in continuing this for others in the future. So as we were considering how we would contribute, we were taking into consideration that we are a single income family of six with one heading to college in the fall. We were needing to find creative ways and ways to give beyond our regular tithe every month. So for some time, I have been on an ongoing conversation with God, asking him to show me how this was going to happen, because with my own efforts, I couldn't figure out how it was. So um, he reminded me of the ways we saved for our Alaska trip several years ago. For over a year, we saved all our change, and I mean every penny. If we went to the store and we spent $10.47, I would give $11 and put the remaining change in a jar. Well, over a year's time, that change started to grow and grow and grow. Well, at the end of the time, when we were getting ready to go to Alaska, we realized we had hundreds of dollars. And I'm not talking a couple hundred dollars. I mean, hundreds of dollars in this jar. And, you know, we never even saw a difference in our monthly budget just by putting a change in a jar and saving it. Well, during this time, we also stopped eating out as much. For a family of six, it's expensive us eating out. And our kids think of it as a pleasure, you know. It's not something we do all the time. But during this time, we took one dinner out away from us, from eating out during the month. And so that saved us about $50. So over in a two-year period of time, our family saved over $1,000 just not by not eating out once a month. 
And so my point is, this all starts adding up very quickly. So, but, um, you know, the great thing was the entire family participated in this and encouraged one another because we all had a common goal. And, um, but a few months ago, with Dr. Mills' suggestion, I started reading the Bible cover to cover like you would read a novel. Not studying, not spending time doing word looking and stuff like that, just like I would read any book. And um, so when I got to Exodus, I came across where God was speaking to Moses, and he said, all firstborn offspring of the livestock you own that are males will be lords. I said, you know what? I've got livestock. And I was thinking, (laughs) I could do this. And I was thinking, right then, I was like, oh, my gosh, I know we have three pregnant goats right now. And so um, a few days later, I was talking to Bill Thomas, and he and I always talk about our goats a lot, my goats, and um, he's always laughing with us and the kids and stuff with our goats. But he was giving me a hard time. He said, I think you should just bring your goats up to the altar. And I said, and I was thinking, I'm not so sure what Dr. Mills is going to think about this next Sunday. But what was amazing was this past Monday, one of our first goats had twins, one male and one female, and it was the first male goat ever born on our farm. And I thought, this one's the Lord's. And I wish I had brought a picture. He is beautiful. He is much prettier than the girl. He is... His markings are just incredible, and his stature is near perfect. So I was thinking, you know, the Lord is going to get good top dollar on this goat. And so, um, you know, I know all this seems pretty silly, talking about things like this, but the whole point in telling you this is to show that God can show you ways to give that you're not expecting. And he can confirm it through people around you every day. You just have to ask him. Amen. Good. Good. Thank you, David. Thank you, Now, I um, do need to clarify one thing here. Sunday, when we, this next Sunday, when we collect our pledges and gifts for the Act 22 project, uh, the Adolphsons are not going to bring that goat here and sacrifice it on the steps, okay? Now, well, you can change my mind, but um, uh, you'll need to convince A.B. Sawyer to clean it up, okay? They're going to sell their goat and give the proceeds to the Lord. So, uh, in any case, next Sunday, we will, after the message, uh, be collecting gifts and pledges to the Act 22 Project. We'll have a very simple approach to that. It'll be enough just to give you instruction next Sunday on that. But I do want to say to you, if you're a guest with us, uh, we didn't invite you here to get your money. Uh, That's not why we had you come. We've got something better for you uh, than that today. And uh, I think you'll hear that today. But then also, um, I want to say to our members, and our members take care of the giving here at Beach Haven, that uh, if you've decided you can't give anything, you just, and you regretfully so, you don't think that you can give anything. Maybe you don't have much of an income or things are tough. I do want to challenge you to give at least $1 a month. $1 a month. That may mean giving up a Coca-Cola. That may mean giving up something. You, you can set aside and give up something and give $1 a month. 
Uh, and that's all the way from kindergarten to our oldest adult. Uh, I do want you to be a part of this. And you say, well, a dollar won't make much of a difference. Well, if there are 50 of you in that position and we gather that together, just multiply that over three years and you'll make a difference. There'll be some chairs that you'll purchase. There'll be some other items that you can give to. Give at least a dollar a month if you've decided to give zero. Uh, do that and God will bless you. I was talking to a college student this week who has decided to give $220 on a very limited income. Full-time college student, lots of expenses, is going to go to graduate school beyond that, needs to save for that, and is going to give that. And so uh, I think God will bless you real good. If you need some guidance in that, we'll be real happy to talk with you and um, real thrilled with that. Well, our text this morning is from 2 Timothy chapter 3 and chapter 4, and I want to deliver the first lesson in our Sunday school worker training. And Sunday school workers are much more than teachers, but some of the most important are uh, not only the teachers, but the secretaries and the fellowship leaders, the prayer leaders, the care leaders, the outreach leaders, and others. And I want to uh, address this message to that. Now, the CNN cameraman uh, made it real clear that there oftentimes is a gap between appearance and reality. And that is actually the circumstance that Timothy faces in the church of Ephesus. An enormous gap among some of his leaders in appearance and reality. And Paul addresses that beginning in chapter 3 and in chapter 4 as well. And here he insisted that God's prevailing word in Scripture is more than adequate to need, meet the need during perilous times. And he does that really in uh, several sections here. Um, he begins in chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, with the problem in perilous last days. And let's look here at some character perils of the last days in verses 1 through 5. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. The days before the return of Christ. Perilous or stressful, difficult, anxiety-ridden, anxiety-producing days will come. And this is because of character and character perils. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unholy, unthankful, or unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such, turn away. There are enormous character problems that Paul surfaces here in the text, and it reads like many of the experiences some of you have had during this week. In fact, you may have cringed reading this text because you might feel you might be guilty of some of them. And the truth is, is that some of the difficulties and sorrows and wounds you have suffered this past week and before are because people had these character problems. And then he continues with conduct problems in verse 6. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captive gullible or vulnerable women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts. In other words, they've got all sorts of desires and they feel guilty and shame for their sins. That's made them vulnerable. And there are some men that take advantage of such women, even using religious language to do so. He continues in verse 7. 
They are always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then Paul harkens back to some Jewish tradition about the magicians in Pharaoh's court who opposed Moses and uses the name Janus and Jamborees. Now, as Janus and Jamborees resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith, but their progress, they will progress no further. For their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs also was. He continues on and says in verse 13, Evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. These are the conduct problems. Now, Paul offers a solution here to these problems, to perilous days. And that is in verse number 10. The first thing is, first thing happens to be examples. Examples of the prevailing word. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, but not only Antioch, but Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Paul puts himself forward as an example of the prevailing word, and he talks about everything from his doctrine, his lifestyle, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, and perseverance. All of these have antecedents or background in the Old Testament and the Gospels. This is not the first time Timothy has heard of these because before he ever met Paul, he was well-trained in the Old Testament and the story of Jesus and his love. And so examples of the prevailing word happen to be part of the solution. Then obedience to the prevailing word in verse 14. But you must continue in the things you've learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. He said, in other words, what you've learned, I want you to continue and consider the source knowing from whom you have learned them. The highest, the holiest, the most reverent, the most loving people in all the world, Timothy, are those who have followed the will and the Word of God as described in the Scripture, and I want you to follow that. Now, that's not the only consideration when deciding what is true and false and right and wrong. Not just the examples that you've seen and not just those that uh, have been the source of teaching, but it is one powerful, cogent uh, persuasive factor. And then he goes on to salvation in the prevailing word. That from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. It amuses me sometimes that there is a Christian generation that may arise or movement that seeks to condemn those who came before them, but they end up without much thought and without much care, rather recklessly condemning those who led them to Jesus. And I'm thinking, what a strange thing to do. The publishing houses can do this. The bloggers can do this. And others can as well. But Paul said, those who set the word before you gave you the wisdom through the Scripture that leads to faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul here is talking about all the trouble he has faced and Timothy faced, and he still could not get the lost world and their need for salvation off of his heart. It still consumed him and never did the troubles he faced surpass the desire to see men and women come to Christ as Savior? Then he talks about the inspiration of the prevailing word. Verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All of it, not part of it. Now, most commentators will say he's talking only about the Old Testament, 
which is all they had at this time, and that is not true. They had the story of Jesus and His love. In fact, I'm rather certain they had record of it. I wouldn't be a bit surprised if Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written by the time Paul communicated this. And then you have the body of apostolic doctrine, uh, what the apostles taught of Jesus and His love. About the only thing of the New Testament you don't have by this time that Paul is writing is Revelation, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Jude, and perhaps 2nd Peter. The rest of the New Testament I believe you probably have by this time. And so I think Paul here is referring certainly to Old Testament Scripture, but also to the New Testament as well, as embodied in the apostles and the story of Jesus. The word he uses here is inspiration. And it's not mere human inspiration, but it is actually literally from the Greek text, God breathed. In other words, the Scripture represents what God Himself has produced what he's laid on the heart of biblical authors. I like what Herschel Hobbes said one time, the God of truth does not breathe error. And so his word is true. And in John 17, 17, Jesus said, Thy word is truth. That is inspiration. And that's what he's talking about here. And so he talks about the inspiration and the source of the prevailing word is God himself. The Bible is a human document, but that is a minor point in the Scripture. The major point in the Bible is that the Bible is God's Word. It is a divine document produced by God Himself. And quite frankly, it is a very comfortable thing and certain thing to stand on that confession of faith in the Bible. Then there's the sufficiency of the prevailing Word. What we need is more of the Bible because there are at least four words here that he uses, or three words, excuse me, to describe that. It is profitable. It's a financial word, or it is a word that is, was used in re, uh, relationship to health. Exercise is profitable to the body in the same way Scripture is profitable to the soul. And it's profitable for doctrine. What we need to understand who God is and what we should teach is the Bible. More so than a human book and more even than what comes from publishing houses, though those can be helpful. It's also profitable for reproof, that is, to point out where we're wrong, and we are always in need of that. And then for correction, a positive, constructive redirection of our life, behavior, attitude, and disposition. And then instruction in righteousness, to teach people how to be righteous before God. So the first word he uses here for the sufficiency of Scripture is profitable. Then, verse 17, that the man of God may be complete. In other words, all God expects of His people can be found in the Word, and if we obey it, embrace it with our hearts, we can be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's the third word he uses here. Equipped to do everything God wants us to do. So since the prevailing Word is sufficient for our perilous times, what do we do with it in our church, especially with our Bible study ministry that we through the years have called the Sunday School? Well, I want to answer that question in a few moments here. First, our Bible study ministry teaches the Word. Our Bible study ministry teaches the Word. Now that may be apparent to you, but it's not apparent to many throughout the world. Our Bible study ministry teaches the Word, and that's the first thing. All week long, our people and our community hear what the pundit has to say. All week long, our people and our community hear what the broadcaster has to say. They hear what the economist has to say. They hear what the philosopher has to say. They hear even what the man on the street has to say. 
when they come onto this property, they want to know, does God have anything to say? And I've got good news for this world. I've got good news for you. I've got good news for this community. God has something to say, and it's contained in the Bible. And God says it, and He does not stutter. We teach the Word. And in verse 1 of chapter 4, we find the urgency of teaching the Word. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom, preach the Word. Christ is coming back in judgment, in glory, in fury, in wrath, in salvation, in hope, in all the attributes that there are of God. He may come quickly. There is an urgent need to communicate the Word to our world and our people. That is the urgency. Then there's the meaning. Verse 2, preach the Word. The word preach was used for someone that would deliver news in the first century. It was not a pulpit word to begin with, and usually it's not used in a pulpit sense in the New Testament. In fact, the word preach is an unfortunate translation into the English uh, that really should be announce or to tell or to broadcast the, uh, the word because usually it's not used of what the preacher does but what the people do, not inside the church but outside the church and with one another. And he goes on to explain that. Be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with long-suffering and with teaching. And so Paul here has a full understanding of the Word. You do not stand up in a pulpit or in a Sunday school classroom or in a teaching situation and merely encourage people, although that's good. That needs to be a part of it, but there needs to be something else besides encouragement. There needs to be rebuking. You've got to point out what's wrong, and you should do so with a tender heart, of course, but there is the need for that. And then, not only that, but you've got to convince and persuade others to follow the Lord and build up reason upon reason to do so. Uh, and then you do it with all long-suffering and teaching. So there's announcing the Word, there's convincing by the Word, there's rebuking with the Word, and then there is exhorting with the Word. There's a fullness to the teaching ministry. Then there's a need for teaching in verses 3 and 4. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. In fact, I will say to you, in the last couple of years, a major American denomination that's been responsible for revival in decades and centuries ago has actually stood up and publicly affirmed immoral living among its ministry and has offered to ordain such persons to the ministry. And another major American denomination is poised to do so next summer. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, not God's desire, not God's word, not God's will, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will not only pick and choose a few, but they will heap up for themselves, teachers, and turn away their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. In case you're mistaken, this is that day. The reason we need to teach the word is that there's so much eagerness for bad teaching. And there are plenty of teachers to fill that bill. We've got to be responsible and stand for the Word of God. And then there's the mindset as you go about it. Be watchful in all things. Be sensitive to what's going on around you. Know what's taking place so you can apply the Word to that. Endure afflictions because it's difficult and it's stressful to prepare every week and to be ready. Do the work of an evangelist, because that's the ultimate hope in coming to Jesus Christ. And fulfill your ministry, which was described in verse number 2. 
And so our Sunday school ministry teaches the Word, looking forward to verses 6 through 8, which describes the satisfaction of teaching. Look how satisfied Paul is, beginning in verse 6. For I am already poured out as a drink offering. He felt like he was always giving and giving. And the time of my departure is at hand. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only to me, but also all those who love his appearing. There's enormous satisfaction in teaching the Word. That's why we teach the Bible. The best antidote to the rot rot and the corruption outside and inside churches is a vigorous, robust ministry of teaching the Word of God. There is no substitute for it. And this is why our church and so many other churches have invested more people and more funding and more resources for the ministry of the Sunday school, our Bible teaching ministry, than any other single ministry in the church, and that is a wise thing to do. So our Sunday school ministry, our Bible study ministry, teaches the Word. But there's a second thing. We also embody the Word. We embody the Word. It's on the page. It's black print on white paper. We need to see it in front of us as a demonstration, and thank God for churches. Without churches and without the teaching ministry of the Word, there'd be no embodiment of the Word. It reminds me of a commercial that the Royal Bank of Scotland has put forward and produced. There are a couple of men sitting at lunch one day, and they're talking, and they see a man on the table next to them begin to choke on his food. And one says to the other, yeah, see, yonder man choking. That reminds me of the Heimlich maneuver. And the fellow, other fellow asked him, well, now do you pronounce that Heimlich or Himlich or Heimlach? He said, well, I really don't know. In my, my opinion, Heimlich is perfectly fine. And, and what they generally do is that they press upon the stomach and give a full jerk. Well, the man's over here choking, and they're talking about this. And finally, a man stands up from another table and goes to the poor fellow choking and performs the Heimlich maneuver on him himself, and the, the fellow is relieved of his burden. And he walks up to the table with the two men sta- sitting there and says, less talk, more action. And that's the commercial for the Royal Bank of Scotland. What in the world it has to do with banking, I'm not entirely sure, but I do know it's got something to do with the Christian faith. We do not only want to be people who teach the Word as vigorous and robust as we want to be about that, we also have a Sunday school ministry that we might lead people to embody the Word. Now Paul indicates this in verses 9 through 12. He's got a crisis, and he asked Timothy to help him with it. He said, verse 9, Be diligent to come to me quickly. For Demas has forsaken me. I've been abandoned. There are people here in our church family, in our Sunday school classes, who've been abandoned and isolated. Sometimes because they've come to Christ. Sometimes because they've taken a stand. That's what's happened. They've been forsaken. Demas forsook Paul, having loved this present world, and he departed for Thessalonica. Cretans, well, he forsook Paul and went to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia is what happened here. But it continues in verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, especially in his trial. May the Lord repay him according to his works. Now, don't fuss at Paul for that. He left it in his prayers and did not take personal vengeance. Paul not only prayed right prayers, he prayed real prayers and let it out before God. So Alexander the coppersmith did him much harm. He doesn't elaborate upon that. But then he goes to verse 16. At my first defense... 
no one stood with me, but all forsook me. I'm going to tell you something. You go through a hard time here because you stand for Jesus Christ. If you are part of Beach Haven Baptist Church, we won't let you do it alone. If you stand for Jesus and you're standing in His righteousness. So Paul had a crisis and he asked Timothy to help him in verse 9. Be diligent to come to me quickly. Timothy was to come to Paul quickly. Timothy embodied what we attempt to do in our Bible study or our Sunday school ministry. And that is, we seek to care. Timothy had fellowship. He obviously prayed for Paul and performed a ministry to him. Beloved, there are some that don't like organization and administration. They want us to be real casual and natural about everything. Well, that might be good someplace in the world where such sophistication is not necessary and where life is not complex. But I don't know if anyone has noticed, but this is North America and life is complex here. People are busy. Resources are limited and they are extended. And we have got to be the kind of people who are organized enough to take care of the needs of people. In other words, we are to be diligent to come to them, as Paul urged Timothy in verse number 9. I remember, it must have been about 12 years ago, we were living in Gwinnett County, and Michelle's family had, in a period of 18 months, six family members pass away in about 18 months. And three of those were age 25 or younger. It was a very difficult 18 months. We were members of Hebron Baptist Church, and at that time, Hebron was running more than 5,000 in worship, just a few hundred less in Sunday school. And I was a little nervous about joining Hebron because I thought, it's so large, we'll be anonymous. And there'll be no way people will ever know what's taking place. Well, the first brick on that fortress in my heart came undone when Sarah Kate had some surgery at Scottish Rite Hospital. And a staff member showed up at 6 in the morning and 2 in the afternoon the same day. Well, that staff, you know, they're paid to be good. The rest of them were good for nothing. But uh, (laughs) good for no monetary compensation, just to clarify. (laughs) But in any case, I don't miss an opportunity, folks. But in any case, we went through those six funerals. And our Sunday school class found out how I don't know. But they loaded us up with meals, one after another, and phone calls, and stayed with us for 18 months with one death after another. And I thought, they're going to think we're faking it just so we can get a free meal. But they did not let go, and we still stay in contact with them today. And what I learned about our church is that they had hyper-organized their Sunday morning Bible study ministry to take care of people. Beloved, that's what we do. It's grunt work. It is not glamorous. It is not all that impressive to those who are addicted to adrenaline. But it takes care of people. And with that, we are able to come to them quickly, as Paul wanted Timothy to do with him. So every Sunday school class embodies the Word through prayer, care, and fellowship. And I've got to let you know, in this lonely world, outside of a few churches, there aren't many people who are doing that. In fact, that's why we need all of you attached Sunday by Sunday in attendance in a Sunday school class. Every person, every member, 
every person that's breathing because we need you on the team to use your gifts, abilities, heart, love, experiences, biblical knowledge, whatever it is that you bring to the table, we need you there that you might minister and serve to other people. So the Sunday school ministry teaches the Word, embodies the Word, but third, it broadcasts the Word. Paul does this in verse 17. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be fully preached through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Paul declared the Word. He broadcast it like a news broadcaster. He did it in God's strength because God stood with him and strengthened him. He did it, or God does it, by His people. He said He did it through me and to the world that the Gentiles might hear. Beloved, I've got good news for you. God has great news for you. And that is, a better day is coming that is going to look entirely like Jesus Christ because of His cross and His resurrection and the salvation experience. And He wants the whole world to get in on it. And we organize to do that. We're intentional and fervent to do that. That's where our hearts should be and our behavior as well. So each Sunday school class, each Bible study ministry can broadcast the Word by doing several things. One, inviting others to attend. For 15 years, our research has shown that at least 80% of Americans are open to an invitation to be a part of your church. Well, in our life, Sunday school is an important part of that. That's not to say 80% of them will attend. Sometimes they have circumstances that don't allow them to. Sometimes there are other hindrances. But they're open and receptive to a dear Christian friend inviting them to be a part of this. Second, by contacting that week's guests and absentees. Well, Paul made sure it was known that Demas was absent in verse 10. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and I'm sure that down through the centuries, Demas wished he had not been. So we contact that week's guest and absentees. Third, we explain the gospel and the public invitation in every Sunday school lesson. Paul does this in chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, with the need for salvation. Verse 15, he gives the wisdom of salvation. In chapter 4, verse 1, the urgency of salvation. Chapter 4, verse 2, the season of salvation. In season, out of season. And then, chapter 4, verse 8, the reward of salvation. Now, somebody may object, well, I don't have any non-Christians in my Sunday school class. Well, Timothy was a Christian, and Paul declared the gospel to him anyway. Explain the public invitation and declare the gospel in every Sunday school lesson, and then we do it by visiting. Since August of last year, our deacons and staff have been visiting guests to Beach Haven Baptist Church, and with just one exception, they've been appreciative of it. And constantly we hear back, we visited other churches and no one else came after us. No one else contacted us. Well, I contact them Sunday afternoon. We'll visit them Sunday night. We send them a guest letter with a gospel track and church information on Monday morning. We'll have the appropriate Sunday school teacher contact them during that week. Folks, when, folks, uh, when guests visit Beach Haven Baptist Church, depending on how many children they have and what Sunday school classes they are in, they'll get at least four contacts after they visit, maybe as many as seven, depending on how many children they have. And the reason we do that is that God loves people. And God is a going kind of God. It's His nature to emulate good news. It's His nature to take the initiative and bring His Son to people. In fact, you cannot spell God or gospel without first spelling go. That's the heart, soul, and nature of a New Testament ministry. Now, chapter 3, verse 15 has been a verse I've reflected on an awful lot 
over the last number of years. You know, oftentimes you may have a verse or a passage that you feast on for 10 or 12 or 20 years. Uh, Psalms, uh, uh, Psalms 80 verse 11 was that for me, open wide your mouth and I will fill it. At one time Matthew 7, 7 was that way. Ask it shall be given to you, seek you shall find. Knock the door, shall be open to you. Jesus gives these wild, uh, broad promises and he's not exaggerating at all in his word. Verse 15 has been one of these for me lately for about, um, uh, about the last nine, eight or nine years. From childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The Scriptures are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation. I mean, someone who's struggling with coming to Christ, I give them a Bible. Encourage them to read it. I've got several friends in the community engaged in that now. How faithful, consistent they are, I don't know. But I've directed them to the Word of God. God, from the pages of His Word, will enlighten the heart and mind to salvation where someone might be resistant or confused or may have some questions. But the Scriptures are able to make them wise unto salvation. Do you know what that means? That means if you and I were as smart as God, we would give our hearts and lives to Jesus right now and today. That's what it means to be wise. That means you have the insight into a thing that God has. And the wisdom that leads to salvation is, if we were as smart as God, we would give our hearts and lives to Christ right now. So let me ask you, are you willing to acknowledge your need for Christ? The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Galatians 3.22, the scripture has consigned or has shut up all men under sin that they might discover mercy and grace. Do you acknowledge your need? Do you trust Christ alone in his death and resurrection as your only hope? And are you willing to call on God to save you today? If so, you've got the wisdom that leads to salvation. Now all you need to do is ask him. And he promises Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will not be disappointed. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for, Lord, the ministry of the Word. We thank you for the effective history of Bible study ministry and the preaching and teaching of the Word. We thank you for the care and zeal of those who've come before us and those that surround us today that have put labor and energy and resources in defeating our souls. We thank you for a word to teach. This book, dear God, has acted like a fire and it's incinerated doubt. It is performed as a hammer and it's busted through resistance. It acts as a lamp and a light to our feet. And it's pointed out a future and a hope. And bless God, it's been a manger, it's been a cradle, it's been a cross, it's been an empty tomb. It's a throne that has unfolded the Lord Jesus and His love for us. And we thank you, dear God, for the ministry that communicates that. I want to pray today that by your Spirit you will move friends to rip themselves from whatever wicked things keep them from Christ, that they cherish more than Jesus, that they would deliver themselves to Him, and like so many of us, discovered grace for sinners. Would you please move upon Him in that way today, Lord? 
as you keep talking to God, no one's looking around, we're going to sing a song. And as we do, staff will be standing here waiting for you to help you with your spiritual need. There's no magic to walking this aisle and meeting with staff, but this is a very convenient opportunity to get your spiritual need met. While your heart is tender, while you're in the midst of friends, while hundreds are praying for you, when we stand and sing, why don't you come meet a staff member, share your spiritual need, and we want to help you with that today. Would you quickly stand with me, please? Quickly stand. Tim, lead us to sing, and you come. Let's sing together. When we walk with the Lord in the light,